G'day and welcome back. Darren Mitchell here and you're about to listen to another brand new episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Just like to jump on board when I do an interview just to do a little bit of a preamble. Uh, today I had the privilege of speaking with Mark Raffin, who is the head trainer of Negotiations Ninja based out of Calgary in Canada. This is actually the second time I've had the privilege of speaking with Mark uh, and today another phenomenal conversation. Mark has just recently released a book which I highly recommend that if you're in sales or if you do negotiations, please do yourself a favor and do your team a favor by grabbing a copy of the book, The Nine Secrets to Win Deals and Influence Stakeholders. There will be information in the show notes, uh, but as he says towards the back end of this particular episode, the very best place to get access to the book is on Amazon. So we had a fantastic conversation. We didn't quite talk about all nine secrets because the key thing is we want people to buy the book which I have just ordered, and uh, but we do talk about some of the key concepts around negotiation, particularly in the B2B space. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast, and a very warm welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Mark Raffin, all the way from Calgary in Canada. How are you going, Mark? Very cold. Very cold. <laughs> right, as we as we just before, well, just before we press record, we were talking about the different temperature differences and i was saying how cool it is over in melbourne but you would proceed to say it was like minus 12 degrees yeah it's so minus good. 12 right now i think we're getting away with murder at this point it's too warm seasonably warm unseasonably warm i should say so i feel like it's coming you know minus 20 was is around the corner and we'll be there soon enough wow what it uh and i thought living in melbourne or just north of melbourne uh was cold because a lot of people who live in australia always take the P1SS out of people from Melbourne saying it's so cold down there and it always rains. And I reckon those people probably have to spend some time in Canada. They're always welcome here, man. We need <laughs> some, we can bring people back to reality really quick with a couple of weeks of minus 40. That generally shocks people into the, oh, wow, it's pretty good here. Man, I thought yeah. it was cold here. Wow, that's, I've never known cold like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. So, mate, this is the um. Uh, I'm not going to call you a retread, but you're a second, the second time round on the podcast, which is uh, which is fantastic. And we were just um, I was going to say we were just reminiscing just before this <laughs> record, but we were talking about it was December last year when we um when we first spoke on the podcast and talked about negotiations, and you run an organization called Negotiations Ninja. So um, right. we're going to talk about a brand new book that you've just released, best-selling author, global megastar, all things uh, Ninja Warrior style from a negotiation. Listen, it's it's me, Kevin Hart, Katy Perry. That's uh, we're the people, right? Like Taylor Swift, we're all friends, right? Like this yes. is how it works. So if <laughs> if Taylor Swift has, because my kids they love Taylor Swift, right? So if if uh, Taylor Swift, rightfully so. Um, followers are Swifties. What are the negotiation ninja followers known as? Ninjis? (laughs) (laughs) 
Man, we'll go with that. Uh, let's let's talk to your ninjas today. So, um, so maybe for the people who haven't necessarily caught out caught up with the podcast we did twelve months ago, and if you haven't, please um, check it out. Look it up the the various podcast platforms and look for uh, the exceptional sales letter podcast and the negotiations ninja. Mark, can you give us just a little bit of uh, background on the negotiations ninja story? Because I do want to jump into the book and totally. what was the catalyst for writing it, but. Just a bit of context for the people listening right now in terms of what is Negotiations Ninja and um, how did it how did it come about? Totally. So Negotiations Ninja is a training, coaching, and content business. The whole idea behind it is to elevate the negotiation skills of procurement and sales teams all over the world. Those are the two big audiences that we work with, specifically in the B2B space. We don't do anything in the B2C space. Um, and the goal is to make sure people make more money, reduce risk, and get better value out of their deals. It came about as all good things do in a bar. Uh, and in a bar. It, it was a result of a, a dare that a few of our friends had. And I was moaning about how there was no great negotiation content out there. And as all good friends should, they held me to account to my words. And they said, well, don't moan about it, right? Do something about it. And then I had a few more drinks, and then I thought, that's a great idea. I will do something about it. And I went on to Amazon, bought all of the wrong stuff to start a podcast, started a podcast, which turned into a training company, which is where we are today. And so now we deliver negotiation training to some of the largest companies in the world to teach them how to get better deals. And it all resulted because I got drunk in a bar. (laughs) Now, there's there's a lot of stories, Mark, around uh, big multi-billion dollar companies that start with an idea on the back of a coaster, on the back of a napkin yeah. in a bar. Were there coasters or napkins involved or was it just lots of beer and peanuts? Lots of beer and chicken wings, actually. And chicken wings. Yes. Wow. Very, very stylish. Very stylish. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to class it up, you know, Darren. I it, Classy is my thing. <laughs> and obviously some well sometimes the best ideas come from uh an inebriated state because you tap into your high level of creativity so absolutely yeah nice nice so you mentioned before that you were frustrated with not having access to a lot of great negotiation content out there That's right. um, because i know having been in corporate for for many many years there's lots of training companies that do negotiation skills was there anything specific around um, that that caused you the biggest frustration around around negotiations? Yeah, I many of much of it. My two biggest complaints prior to going into this was it's super academic, right? So yeah. really academic, really high level. Always paints this picture of sort of best case scenario. Everyone's rational and reasonable. Everyone's going to be your friend and be collaborative. That was my one big criticism because that's just not reality. And then the other big criticism was it's not entertaining. You've got someone who's been in academia for 30 years droning on in the front of a classroom and you want to launch yourself off the closest building because that's the thing that'll drive more entertainment than this person teaching you negotiation. So with those two things in mind, that's sort of what led to me going, ah, there's got to be a better way. Let me have a few drinks. And then, you know, this is what came out of it. Wow. And so the, you started the so the first uh, I guess for want of a better term dipping the toe in the water was the podcast, yes, and that then evolved into the training organisation and what we now know as Negotiations Ninja. That's um, right. 
was it a was it a process of just talking about your own, I guess, challenges, frustrations, observations, or did you start to interview people who had experience in negotiations and from that picked out the best to then form, I guess, the content of what then became the framework of what you guys do now? No, the framework came from uh, the experiences that I had had in the past and trying to account for the gaps that I saw. There's a lot of, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of phenomenal negotiation books out there and messages out there, but they're missing some key pieces that I feel like we've been able to fill. The intention of the podcast was actually to lift up voices in the negotiation world that were not getting the platform that they should have gotten. And so the goal was to try and I interview other people and say, hey, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts? How would you approach this differently? To try and make sure that people understood that negotiation wasn't just about one book they may have read in university because it was a requirement. Yeah, uh, It's way deeper and way bigger than that. And that was the whole intention of the podcast. And now we've got almost 400 episodes where we've been able to really shine a light on negotiation as a skill set that can be developed instead of something that people just think they're naturally born with. Yeah. Yeah. And even though you focus on business to business, I know a lot of your episodes, because I listened to quite a few of them, have equal applicability on people outside of, I guess, business to business. Totally. And some of the key principles that we can use as I was going to say, as a human being, which all of us are, although there might be some aliens around us as well. Um, but you can use that in a lot of everyday negotiations because we are always negotiating to some degree. It doesn't have to be just a product or a service. Yeah, I think anyone who struggles with how to communicate an idea or how to be more persuasive will get a ton out of the podcast. The the a similar conversation I had with someone the other day where um, – they said, you know, I'm really struggling communicating with my husband because he won't listen to me with this one thing. And then I spoke to the husband and he said exactly the same thing to me about her. And I said, wouldn't it be interesting if you just told each other what you wanted? Yeah. And then and the answer from both of them was, well, we've been married for 20 years. Like they, you should know what I want. <laughs> and, and, and I said, therein lies the problem. Right. And the same is true for business. We have this assumption and expectation that just because we've been working together for a really long time, you should know what I want. But that's not true. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, how is someone supposed to know what it is you want unless you tell them exactly what you want without doing that we get ourselves into really difficult positions and so now because of that interaction i use the analogy of that married couple all the time yeah because you know it like even if you've been married for 20 years and you 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 both come to the table and you both say oh we need to work on our communication right like something's not working here we need to work on our communication yeah. The husband agrees, the wife agrees, everyone agrees, right? Yes, we need to work on our communication. And everyone feels better now that we've had the conversation saying, yeah, we need to work on our communication. Okay, let's work on that. And both of them walk away from the table and then they think they might file a divorce six months later saying, you don't know what I want. Well, yes, you agreed that you need to work on communication, but no one ever talked about what needs to be worked on, 
or yeah. how it needs to be worked on or what communication even means to either party. Mm. And so when you think of it from that perspective, there's a lot that can be taken from the B2B negotiation world and applied in personal lives. And so with that, do you think, because you mentioned before that there were many uh, key pieces missing from your experience out there in terms of yeah. training courses and so forth. Was that one of the key things that you noticed that was that was missing, the inability uh, to really be cl- clear on asking for what you want, thinking that what if I get yeah. rejected where I've got nowhere near, nowhere to go to? Was there was there other things that were that were obvious in terms of what was missing from your perspective? Even a step back from that is not only do people not communicate what they want, they don't even know what they want, right? <laughs> and so they they go into especially in B two B negotiations. I hear this all the time from salespeople where I say, okay, well, what do you want out of this deal? And they'll say to me, I, I want a good deal. And I yeah. say, okay, okay, right? Yes, and right. That's the outcome. Everyone wants a good deal, but what constitutes a good deal for you? Yeah. And they say, well, I want to make more money. I was like, okay. Let's let's move. Let's keep moving, right? Like, what what is more money? Well, I'd like to sell more seats of this thing, or I'd like to sell more product. Okay, great. We've got one thing that yeah. you want to generate. What else do you want to generate? Well, I'd like to cross sell these services. Oh, okay, great. What else would you like to do? I'd like to increase prices. Oh, wonderful. What else would you like to do? I'd like to improve payment terms. I'd like to reduce risk. I'd like to etc. 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 And eventually, right, we can develop an idea of what it is this person is looking for exactly to achieve mm-hmm. the outcome of a quote unquote good deal. The same as the conversation you and I were having earlier about communication between that married couple. If you just say, I want better communication. That actually doesn't mean anything. You have to tell me what better communication means to you and then what it is you want from me to ensure that we achieve better communication. Yeah. So describe actually what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. Right. Exactly. But for the vast majority of people going into a deal, they kind of just, I think because of modern media, and let's, let's use them as the scapegoat. We can blame modern media for this, right? So mm. if you look at movies like Wolf of Wall Street or Boiler Room or Glengarry Glen Ross, these deals magically come together out of thin air because of the way someone says something over the phone or the inflection points in yeah. the voice. You and I know that the reality of B2B negotiations and B2B sales in general is that it's actually way more boring than that. Right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's about strategy. It's about a plan. It's about being clear on what it is you want. And I think most people, because of modern media, the, the influence of that, they, they kind of just wing it. And they go yeah. into these negotiations hoping they come out with an outcome that constitutes a good deal, but they don't know what a good deal means in the first place. And so when yeah. you say to them, did you get a good deal? And they say, yeah, I got a good deal. And you say, prove it. Then they go, what do you mean? Yes. And then that's that's like a, a point of self-reflection where they go, well, I don't actually know how to prove that I got a good deal. And now we come to the crux of the matter, which is exactly why I wrote the book. Which is really interesting because it's a feeling that people have. And, and you're so right in thinking of that a lot of the business to business sales teams that I work with, they they want that good deal, but they can't they can't be specific on what that actually looks like. 
Right. The other thing they'll say, and I'm, and we sort of had this conversation before we press record, um, a lot of organizations, a lot of salespeople would like to be collaborative, right? So we like to create right. the the win-win outcome. So you win, I win, everybody wins, everybody's happy. We go and, you know, we go and drink beer and eat chicken wings after the negotiation. Uh, love your thoughts on this concept of win-win because my own experience is you're going to have different uh, communication styles, different personalities that you're going to be dealing with. They're going to have people who have perhaps different intentions or different desires, some of which may be shared, some of which may not be shared. You're going to have different negotiating styles as well. Um, so what's your thoughts on this concept of of win-win and does it exist and should it exist? So I'm going to say something really contentious and maybe difficult for the listeners to hear, but I'm I'm open to discussion on it. I believe that the idea that most people have about win-win is the biggest lie that's ever been told in the negotiation world. It is a fallacy. It is a farce. It is a fairy tale. It is make-believe. Because when people think about win-win, they think, well, let's divide the deal evenly between both parties. Yeah. You can't actually do that. Because if you were going to divide the value of a deal evenly between both parties, you would need to know what the lifetime value of that deal is, and both parties would need to agree on what that lifetime value is. Yeah. Almost impossible in any B2B negotiation to even know what the value is of the lifetime of that deal. Yeah. Let's just say for the sake of argument that you did find a way to know what the lifetime value of that deal is. Now you would need to both agree on what would be fair as the distribution. But what is fair really? Mm. Fair is based on what your perception of what fair is, but it's also based on what my perception of what fair is. So therefore, fair is subjective, which makes it really difficult for us to evenly distribute value. Yes. But let's just say for the sake of argument that we both agreed on what fair was. Now we've got to get into a debate about what each of us are going to get as a result of that fair distribution and whether or not that makes sense for both of us. And if we were going to do that, we would have to be 100%, 100% transparent with each other. Mm. But do you trust me enough to be able to be transparent with me? And do I trust you enough to be able to be 100% transparent with you? Yeah. Likely not. Yeah. The, the whole idea of it, for me, kind of falls apart in the title. It, it doesn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Now, when I say that, sometimes people say, well, Mark, that's not what win-win really means. What win-win really means is if both parties feel like they've gotten to a win when they come out of it so they can have a beer and wings afterwards and feel great about it. <laughs> to which my response is, okay, so if it's just about making you feel good about the deal, then that opens you up to manipulation. So does that mean right. So does that mean I just need to emotionally manipulate you into feeling good? So even that falls apart for me. Now, some people would say, no, Mark, that's not what really win-win is. Win-win <laughs> is about you know, being mutually beneficial. 
and, and then to which I would say, who decides what's beneficial? Yeah. And so now we're back in that circular argument. So yeah. Yeah. I struggle with it. I really do struggle with it. Now, it's an interesting perspective because I must admit, I and, and this is good feedback for me in terms of when I do negotiations and sometimes I'll do negotiation training as well for sales teams and, and I often talk about the win-win scenario. It just gives me a little bit more context now to say, well, you know what, that from a, I, I need to get more granular in terms of what that definition potentially is because I think right. it comes back to what you said before is if there's a level of trust that's been developed and if we can articulate what it is that we're looking for, which presupposes that we actually know what it is that we're looking for and then can communicate that, then once those two things are on the table, then we can look for something that might have some common ground from which sure. we can both feel as if we've got a, a legitimate deal that we can move forward with. Is Yeah, absolutely. And now you've just described goal-based negotiation, which is the way that we approach negotiation. Nice. So do you know what you want? Yeah. Write it all down, right? We call those aspirational goals. So yeah. by the way, when is this going to get published? Give of me an idea. Podcast? Yeah. Uh, probably, well, it's, it's, uh, Thursday afternoon in, um, in Calgary, it's Friday in Melbourne, probably today, my friend. Oh, okay. Phenomenal. Okay. okay so for, for the listeners listening in right now, we are end of October. Yeah. The number one aspirational goal in January across the Western world is what? The number yeah. one new year's resolution. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> depends on where you come from. To, to, to lose weight, lose and, weight. And, and look better, right? That's the yes. number one. Across the Western world, everyone wants to lose weight at the beginning of January. Until the 15th that's, of January. Right. That's a great <laughs> aspirational goal, right? So we call in, in the negotiation style that we have, in, in goal-based negotiation, we say, okay, well, what are your aspirational goals? Well, I want to lose weight. I want to dress better. I want to you know, blah, 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 whatever it might be. I want to have a better spiritual life. I want to have a better life with my family. Yeah. Again, those are the big aspirational goals. Same as the couple talking about communication. We yeah. would say communication is an aspirational goal. It's something we aspire to. It doesn't mean anything unless we break it down. So we've got to break down those aspirational goals into smaller pieces. Mm. So if you say to me in a B2B deal, well, Mark, my goal is to make more money, I would say, Great. How are you going to negotiate into the deal to be able to do that? We're going to increase prices. We're going to cross sell additional products. We're going to upsell additional services. We're going to improve payment terms, We're et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? What yeah. are the actual things we're going to negotiate in? We call those your success drivers because they drive the successful achievement of the aspirational goal. And now we've got something where we know, okay, this is what I want. And then we do the same exercise with the counterparty. We say, well, what is it that you want? Other people like you have wanted X, Y, and Z in the past. Are those similar? Same sort of discovery process. Yeah. What I find with the majority of salespeople that I work with is they're really, really great at doing discovery and finding out what the counterparty wants, their customer, yeah. right? Really brilliant at that. They have no concept at understanding what they want. And so naturally, when they get into the negotiation, they sacrifice so much value for the things that they want to achieve in order to achieve the things the customer wants to achieve. And so now we're in a situation where we've sacrificed all our own value to achieve value for the customer. And we're like, got a good deal, but also at a 75% discount. Oh, no. Right? Like, tough situation. 
And that ain't win-win. That is that is no. well, power base then sits with the customer. Right. And the other thing, as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, if a, if a if an account manager or a salesperson does that, they're now setting a precedent and conditioning that customer for a future negotiation that this is right. the benchmark, this is the minimum expectation. So you kind of you kind of create a little bit of a rod for your own back, don't you? That's right. Yeah. And so you get stuck in situations where you're continually sacrificing value to achieve objectives that have been set out for you. But naturally, when you continue to concede like you're conceding, you're continually reducing the value that you have. You're reducing your brand image. You're reducing your yeah. credibility in the marketplace, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. And so you're getting stuck in a vicious cycle. And this sounds really, yeah. really logical and really common sense based, but it's amazing how much emotion comes into this. And sometimes you oh, feel yeah. there's a level of pressure here to concede in order to get the deal done because I might be under pressure from my sales manager to get a deal done and a negotiation completed by the end of October, for example, because we've got to close right. the books off. So I therefore have to concede. I think for people listening to this, one of the key things, what you've just been talking about there around goal-oriented or goal-based negotiations is be really crystal clear on what it is that we want, but also what is going to be our potential walkaway position. So oh, don't just think we want a good deal. Key. Get really clear and articulate what a good deal looks like and yep. maybe do some scenario planning. So if if we ask for this and it's just as a no-go, what's our what's our fallback position? And but we need Correct. to know where we need to stop and we need to know where the walkaway position because we need to then identify where's where's the zone where we might get an agreement between the two parties. Yeah, it's it's so hard to identify that zone, which is why it's so important to know where you where's the last point where you decide I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Negotiation theorists call this your reservation point, but it's really just a yeah. fancy way of saying, when am I going to say F you? Right. Like yeah. at what point am I going to say enough? No mas, yeah. we cannot do anymore. Yeah. And learning how to manage the value that you're conceding from where you come in to that point and what you ask for in return for the things that you're giving away is absolutely critical in yeah. your negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. So preparation, preparation, preparation before so negotiation. Much. Yeah. Love it's, it. it's all about strategy and planning. I mean, yeah. as Sun Tzu once said, uh, tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. <laughs> it, that's that's exactly how we think about negotiation. It, you can say the fanciest script in the world. Yeah. You can sound absolutely phenomenal. And when you speak, you will sound seductive and amazing and incredible. And the other person will be like, wow, that's really great. But then you come out with a deal that you didn't want in the first place if you didn't have a strategy. So what's the point, right? Like what's the point of sounding great if you don't know what you want? Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So, um, great introduction. I love. I love to talk about the book. The uh, well, the best-selling book. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that has just been released. Um, it is called "The Nine Secrets to Win Deals and Influence Stakeholders." Correct. So, a field guide to B two B negotiations. So, you've already alluded to the fact that. Um, your two key markets are sales teams and procurement teams as well. And That's I know right. through looking through and we're connected on LinkedIn, I noticed a number of posts you put on on a fairly regular basis is the encouragement of procurement people and sales people to start to build relationships, to understand more about each other 
which yes. if we can build those sort of relationships, a funny thing tends to happen is there is a level of trust that is normally formed if it's authentic, which makes it easier then to potentially be more prepared and more open to a more fruitful negotiation. Mark, I love I love your thoughts on, well, what was the catalyst, first of all, for writing the book? Catalyst for writing the book was twofold. Number one, in our business, yeah. if you want to get to that next level, you kind of have to, right? Yeah. You've, you've, you've kind of got to write a book. It's part of the overall business model to yeah. be able to do it. That was the selfish reason. The unselfish reason was from a procurement perspective, because that's my background, many, many, many years in procurement. I look at salespeople and go, what are you doing? You're, mm. you're conceding so much value here. You don't have to concede this much value. So it's written for salespeople from the perspective of a procurement person. So if nice. you're in B2B sales and you're thinking to yourself, well, how do procurement people think? Here's the book you need to start with. So I can ask you a question then. Why didn't you have the title such as Confessions of a Procurement Professional? Because it won't sell. <laughs> Oh, I it, did. I did actually quite a bit of research on the title, so I found that the word "secrets" converts quite well for books in that category, um, within like the personal improvement type category or skill yeah. development category. Yeah. Secrets converts really well, yeah. um, and then those other words convert well for that audience that I'm speaking to. So deals converts well, sales converts well. B2B converts well. And I'm trying to be very specific on a certain audience. So I the research that I did suggested that this was going to convert the best. So I guess what you're saying then is the is the audience that might re- relate to the word confession might be slightly out of your sweet spot. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Although <laughs> chapter one does have a significant sex scene in it. So you know, that's part of the confession process that I go through. Now, I saw that, and I, hey, big confession here. I haven't read the book yet because I haven't ordered it, but I will be after this podcast. But I did see a post on LinkedIn where one of your colleagues <laughs> yeah. actually wrote something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we're going to have to read the book to find out if it's true. Yes, and a good uh, a good allure to actually um, increase your level of um, curiosity. To that's right. More. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so. The, the um, counterparty comes out satisfied. That's all I could tell you. So it's win-win then. Well, I didn't say it was win-win, but they certainly <laughs> were satisfied. <laughs> Maybe it. I wasn't satisfied. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. So you know we're going to um, we're going to put in the show notes where people can get the book, and it's in all good book um, book uh, depositories. Probably the biggest one I think is Amazon. Yeah, go to Amazon. It's the easiest will, place. Plus, if you're a Prime member, get free shipping. Right. Oh, absolutely. As we're talking about, I can get free shipping for the book and it's going to come from, I think, it's going to come from the US, which is which is cool. Perfect. So um, it talks about the nine secrets. Um, really unscientific question. Why the, why the number nine? Um, why not number seven? Was there more research or based on your experience, these are the nine key things that we need to be conscious of around being a salesperson in negotiations? Seven is too little to be considered not serious. 11 is too many, where people would be going to say too long, didn't read. Nine's the sweet spot. Nice. Nice. So we want people to obviously buy the book and get the book and so that your readership numbers can just go through the, the stratosphere. So we're not going to That'd talk about great. all nine. <laughs> what, I'd love, what I'd love to ask you, Mark, though, is uh, 
and this might be quite a subjective question, but are there two or three favorites that you have or two to three key ones that you think if we can nail these, um, we can significantly improve our ability to influence stakeholders? Because, and I'll preface this by saying I saw recently a, a post you put on LinkedIn that I think was a quote from somebody else that was talking about persuasion is manipulation, servitude, connection is, and I'm going to get the quote wrong, is is all about um, building connections, building relationships, building trust, and therefore naturally starting to influence people. Kind of. So <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 talk about, I'll talk about a couple of the secrets. Um, the first one I've kind of already talked about. So secret number one was aspirational goals down into success drivers and really just understanding what it is you're trying to achieve out of the negotiation. The other thing that I think is really interesting as we go through this is people often go into a negotiation thinking that they're not going to concede anything. Yeah. And um, secret number three in the book is win by choosing what you might be willing to lose. And that in and of itself for a lot of people feels really heavy, right? Because you're like, well, are you telling me that I need to plan for what I'm going to lose? And the answer is not really. I'm telling you to plan for what you might be willing to give up. Yeah, And that's a very important distinction. So when people think about going into a negotiation, they often think about what it is, you know, I want to get, but what is it that you also want to give in the negotiation? What do you want to be able to provide of value that you think is going to be of value to the counterparty that's going to make them excited enough to want to start trading with you for the things that you want to get in return? Um, And understanding what it is you might be willing to give away is really, really important for a lot of people because they don't think about that. And naturally, ironically, what ends up happening is we go into a negotiation thinking that we're not going to give anything up. And the opposite happens because we don't know what we're willing to give away. We don't know how much of that thing we're willing to give away. We don't know what we're going to ask for in return for that thing, and we don't know when we're going to do it. And we don't know how we're going to do it. And so when we don't know any of those things and someone asks us for something, we go, okay, yeah, sounds good, makes sense. But then we don't ask for anything in return, and so naturally we start conceding value when we shouldn't. It's... um, it's very scary. And in fact, just before this call that I had with you, I had a conversation with a sales leader, a friend of mine, who said, hey, I'm going into this renewal process. I'm proposing increases in this area. And I said, wonderful, let's pull up your MSA and figure out what might be valuable to the counterparty and what you might be willing to concede in this to be able to achieve the things that you want to achieve. And they said, cool, let's pull up the MSN. We pulled up the MSN. We pulled out their proposal. And I said, okay, one thing's off here. You've only talked about the things that you want to get out of this, not the things that you would be willing to provide to be able to facilitate the transaction. Yeah, and and that in and of itself was the starting point of them going, oh shit! I didn't even look at the MSA. I didn't look at how this was structured. I didn't think about what would be asked of me in return, and so that reformulated our strategy and our approach to do that. So you might be able to win by choosing what you might be willing to lose. 
which means that the importance of preparation and scenario planning is critical. Now, you can probably over plan, but you've got to understand where are the boundaries, where are the frameworks that I might have to go into in order to get what I want, but be prepared to give something away, but know what the value is that I'm giving away. Yeah. Um, and also be prepared to ask for something. Because you said before that sometimes sales guys will be asked a question in a negotiation that at the time sounds logical, but the emotions there, I want to get this deal done. So I'll just give something away. Right. And what you're giving away is something that's, you know, significantly valuable, which you probably didn't have to, nor should you have given away. Yeah. Or didn't have to give all of it away. You may have yeah. only had to give part of it away and get something else in return yeah. for that part of it. And yeah. you've, you've really hit something on the head here where if you don't do that scenario planning, you're going to put yourself into a tough situation. When I say do scenario planning or when you say do scenario planning to to your students, I'm sure in their heads, they're like, wow, well, it, anything could happen. Everything could happen. And you're like, okay, not really, right? Like, yes, anything could happen, but what is the probability of the most realistic thing happening? So, well, they might say this, okay, well, what's the probability of that happening? Well, probably like 90% that they're going to ask for that. I was like, great. Yeah. Write that down. Prepare for that. <laughs> when people think of scenario planning, they automatically go into chaos mode yeah. and they think of every scenario that could happen and they don't have to. They just think mm. of, have to think of what's the most probable situation that's going to happen. Yeah. Which comes back to we need to start with what does success look like and what does Correct. a good deal look like for us? And then we can work backwards for that but know where our stopping point's going to be. And so right. what that gives and what should give is a level of confidence that within those two levels, we've got some stuff, we've got some flexibility where we might be able to get some stuff done because we may not have to give away as much as we have perhaps we thought when we're doing the planning. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really good point. Be Be clear on what you are willing to potentially give up in order to get what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which sort of leads me to another secret, not which is not in order, but secret yep. number seven, which is one of my favorites, is learning all about how to develop persuasion and influence. Yeah. And we follow Aristotle's model for persuasion and influence that he developed 2,000 years ago. Yes, it's old, but it still works today. And we talk about the the need for logic, the need yeah. for an emotional appeal, the need for credibility, and the need for timing in yeah. a negotiation. And if you can have those four things, you could really persuade anyone within a B2B context of anything. Because yeah. you have to have a logical argument. You have to have an emotional reason why someone would believe that emotional argument. You have to have credibility, and it has to be the right time for that person. So as long as you can hit even three out of four of those things, you're probably on the right track. And do you think that, because I know that when when we teach the ethos, pathos, logos, it's kind of done in a, in a, in a specific order. Is there, yep. from a negotiation point of view, because it presupposes that, well, there might be exceptions to this, but in most negotiations, my experience is, you're dealing with people who, you already know a little bit about so there might have already That's been right. a level of credibility established um is there a particular order that you recommend to use those in yeah so we i think most people start with ethos first yeah we start with logos first 
Okay. So we say, okay, develop the logical argument first. Yeah. Why would someone make a decision in your favor? Yeah. Think through all of the logical reasons why someone would do this. Because what we need to do is this is their out. So think of it this way. When you're going to go buy um, a a car, let's say, you walk onto the lot. This is a consumer example that I feel like everyone could understand. Sure. You walk onto the lot. You want to buy a base model of a particular car. And you, you've test driven it a couple of times. You want to test drive it one more time but because you're not entirely sure yet. So you go onto the lot, you try and find the car, you cannot find the car. They're out of stock. Pretty normal for today's day and age. Yeah. But a good salesperson stops you and says, what are you here for? Well, I want to try this base model out. Then the salesperson says, unfortunately, it's not here. Why don't you hop into this upgrade? It's basically the same car, right? It's got the same frame, couple differences here and there. Why don't you hop in there? See how it feels. Yeah. If you're going to get this, a similar sort of experience out of it, just try it out. And you say, oh, no harm, no foul. We'll hop in the car and see how we go. You hop in the car and you drive, you pull out of the lot and you put your foot down. And, but it feels different than the last car you drove. It's got way more power. It feels incredible. And you weave in and out of traffic like a race car driver. And your emotions are starting to go wild. Mm. And you're like, I don't really need all this power this is way bigger than i thought it was going to be but in your head you're going but you know what the kids are getting bigger right and we do need more space for soccer gear and you know the roads are terrible in my city so i kind of need and the drivers are bad so that extra power would be and now you're starting to make up logical reasons for your emotional decision yeah. And so when you eventually walk away with the upgrade, because the salesperson knows what they're doing, you'll walk away with the upgrade and someone in your family will question you a week later and say, I thought you were going to buy the base model. Yeah. And then you're going to say, you know what I realized? I realized we need more space because the kids, they're getting older and they, you know, soccer is starting. So we, and also the roads are bad and you're giving them all of the, you're looking for justification. That's why I want people to start with the logical reasons first, yes. because when you can get them to make the emotional decision, they need the out. Yeah. They need something that they can justify saying, oh, this is why I did this. It's yeah. not because I felt a certain way, because no one wants to admit that. <laughs> everyone, wants, everyone wants to admit that, oh, no, I made a logical, rational, reasonable decision. Meanwhile, <laughs> it's because it felt good, right? Like, So that's why we choose logic first, so that we can develop the out. Nice, nice. <laughs> I was, as you were saying that you were using the car analogy uh, that's exactly how I bought my uh my car 20 years ago <laughs> yeah and listen this is this is how it works right I mean especially with something that feels makes us feel a certain way if um for example when I walk into a wine store and I go to the French wine section, yep. there's certain wines that just make me feel a certain – and I can't, I can't help myself. Yep. I'll just start pulling stuff off the shelf and putting it in. And my wife says to me, what are you doing? I'm like, it makes me feel good. That's, that's the justification. 
But to my friends, I'm like, well, you know, the terroir and it's grown in a certain area. And I try to come up with a logical reason. And I'm just like, no, it tastes good and it feels good. That's why I got it. And Chateau de Pep. <laughs> right, exactly. There's no logic behind this. It just makes me feel good. And let's run with that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So with um so with all of the secrets then, is there is there one secret that I guess is a bit of a surprise that salespeople reading the book um, that perhaps reflect on their own negotiation experience. Yeah. Is there going to be one based on your research and all the work you do with, with teams, is there one secret that kind of stands out as being like the hidden secret that, you know, if we, if we nail this, um, it could, it could be the difference that makes all the difference. Yeah. Day one preparation, which is secret nine. Um, being ready to know what's going to happen on day one. And I go through what seem like normal, logical things, but most people don't think about, right? Like eat light that morning. Don't eat a heavy breakfast. Yeah. Make sure that you get yourself together in terms of a priming exercise, because maybe you've had a string of terrible conversations and you're bringing all of that negative energy into that next discussion we want to make sure that we we get rid of that going into it. Make sure that we've got our plan in front of us. Make sure that we're going in front of the mirror and saying all the things that we need to say to be able to practice all those things. Day one preparation is so, so important. It's going to be the first of many subsequent discussions that you're going to have in this deal because in B2B, you know, the cycle is much longer. And so you're having successive conversations. But that first day is the most important day because it's where you set the tone. It's where you set the expectations. It's where the other person you're going to do it. Just having some internet issues. Hang on, are you there? And how you're going to do it on day number one? Sorry, mate. We uh, this is this will be an an unedited uh, edition of the podcast. We just had some internet um, issues just then, so you froze. Am I back back. now? You're back. You're back. You're back. Um, So day one preparation, absolutely, absolutely critical. Yeah, because without it, you're getting yourself stuck into situations that you haven't planned for. Day one is the first of many subsequent meetings. It's the first time that you're going to set the right tone. It's the first time that you're going to set the objectives. It's the first time you're going to create perception with that person. It's the first time you're going to be able to create the right impression with that person. It's the first time that you're going to be ready for that. So if you don't get day one right, the rest is going to be rough or a lot rougher than it should be. Yeah. And do you have any any tips? Because I know in business to business, there'll be a lot of uh, negotiating teams that yes. get brought in. That sometimes these, you know, the the tough negotiators or the or the or the I don't know the senior executives will come in um, that may not have been privy to some of the pre work, the preamble. Uh, I know the answer to this, but I'd, I'd like to get your perspective. The importance of 
getting these guys on board and prepared, uh, given boundaries, etc. Particularly for these executives, who yes. um, let's say <laughs> might, might be a little bit e- ego driven. <laughs> yeah, or and or well, have been out of the have been out of the field right for such a long time that they've forgot. Right, negotiation isn't like riding a bicycle. Yeah, we forget. Yeah, and so if you've had someone in an executive leadership position that once upon a time was really good at what they did, and and still has that cachet and still has that reputation, don't let them flounder in the negotiation. Right, make sure you brief them before the negotiation. Make sure they understand what the objectives are. Make sure they understand the aspirational goals and the success drivers. Make sure they understand what their role is. Yeah. Make sure they understand that when we call a timeout, that actually means stop talking. Right, like all of those things need to be talked about. And I know for a lot of salespeople, this can feel like a very uncomfortable conversation to have with someone in a senior executive position. But if you don't do it, you're going to lose value, like almost immediately, because the executive is going to say, well, let's just do this. And you're going to be like, we didn't have to. We didn't have to do that. Right. And oh. we've all been there. We, oh, we all yeah, know absolutely. what that's like. Absolutely. But you, you've got to brief them. Don't go into the negotiation without briefing them. If it means you have to delay the discussion by 15, 20 minutes, yeah. do that. Or reschedule. That's fine. And it's a really good point. And and too many salespeople take, I guess, the, the hierarchy. <laughs> Excuse me. Who I'm just going to have some water here. I haven't been yelling, but somehow my voice is a bit croaky this morning. Um, too many salespeople look at the hierarchy of the senior leader and think, well, they must know it all. I yeah. can't I can't challenge them. I can't tell them what it is that they're not to go to and not to say, et cetera, et cetera. Good, good senior executives are very clear on what role do you want me to play? Correct. Yeah, and they want to know. They yes. want to be guided, right? Like, do you want me to be the strong man? Do you want me to be the checkpoint? Do you want me to just be an advisor? There could be a number of different roles that they could play, but if you don't tell them what you need them to do, you're you're really setting yourself up for failure. And by the way, don't get angry when a senior executive says something and you haven't briefed them, right? Because that's not their fault. That's That's your your fault. fault. Correct. Right. So we've got to we've got to make sure that we do that. Otherwise, we're just screwing ourselves. Yes, and the briefing part becomes critical because sometimes we don't get the opportunity to verbally brief them. We provide yeah. them with a briefing document. So make sure you cover right. all your stuff, and don't necessarily assume that your executive has actually read it. So correct that twenty <laughs> minutes before you go into the negotiation yes. because you need to stress test that and say, "Hey, Mark, as my senior executive." Any questions on the briefing I gave you? Now, if they turn around and say, no, no, we're all good. It's okay. What is your key role today? Test them. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's that important. Yeah, agreed. Mate, I um, I greatly appreciate your time. We've, we've nearly gone an hour, well, since we jumped on the call, probably about 50 minutes on the podcast. So, um. Love to know what's uh, what's next for you. What's 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 the next big big project? Uh, is it just growing? Growing. Me and Taylor Swift are going to do a tour together. Um, it's going to be amazing. The Swifties and the Ninjas are going to get together, and it's it's going to be amazing. Imagine, I can imagine seeing you and Taylor on stage busting the moves. Yeah, yeah. Concert, I I am I am a wins. talent. 
I am a talent, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, that's my that's my calling. No, what's next for me is um, thinking about the next book. So I, I have to, I'm trying to think of a title related to how I can teach salespeople how to sell to procurement people. So now there's the negotiation piece, right? Now, what about the sales piece? Is how can we dive into that more, more deeply? I'm yeah. thinking of that book. I'm, there are a few other ideas that I'm playing with right now. But what's next for me is just spreading the message, spreading the word, trying to tell as many people about this. And so I'm lucky that, you know, Taylor is a, a good friend and she's going to get up with Travis Kelsey and talk about it at the next Kansas City Chiefs game. And it's it's going to be good. But um, in in absence of that, just in case, just in case she doesn't say anything because she's got a lot on her plate, I would love it if people went and bought the book on Amazon. And that is fantastic because I do know you are uh, on a worldwide tour, and um, it's we're so we're so privileged to have you on the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Because I, I feel so privileged coming on a second time. What are you doing, man? I, this is great. It is, and I know that Joe Rogan's knocking on your door as well. So I'm sure that um, <laughs> you know he and I <clears throat> sort of in the same I wish same stratosphere, but um, no, I jest. So tell us where is the best place? Well, a couple of things. Where is the best place for people to get a hold of the book? And second of all, knowing more about about yourself. But if people are intrigued, uh, I know you're based in Canada, but you're a, you're a global man. You're obviously because you were talking to me now. Um, how do they get to know a little bit more about Negotiations Ninja and knowing a bit more about how they can be better educated in uh, in negotiations? Best place to get the book is on Amazon because honestly, cool. it's the cheapest and the shipping is free. Right? Yeah. It's a, it's a no brainer. So go to Amazon, get the book. Um, best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. But yep. the only way I'm going to answer you is if you tell me that you heard me on Darren's podcast. So if you tell me that you heard <laughs> me on Darren's podcast, that's when I answer you. And now we can have a conversation with each other. Without doing that, you enter the abyss and black hole that is my message box. And I just don't respond to those things. So make sure that you tell me that you've listened to the show. Awesome. Awesome. Mark, any final words of wisdom from the Negotiations Ninja before we uh, we close off and you get on to your um, rest of your Thursday? Yeah, words of wisdom are don't eat too much over Christmas. Make sure to dress up as your favorite monster over Halloween uh, <laughs> and have a fantastic, fantastic holiday season. Awesome. Mate, always a pleasure. Um, love the fact we've reconnected. I think there's more we can talk about, so we're going to have to do a third round, I think. So, um, Mark Raffin from the Negotiations Ninja, once again, greatly appreciate you being on the podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.